Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, January 18th, 2022. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. So uh, today, uh, the Senate is taking up the, uh, the legislation that it knows um, is going to fail already since... Um, it can be filibustered. Voting rights legislation can be filibustered unless 60 senators agree to cloture. So uh, the classic formulation here is that um, uh, you you have a debate, cloture, they, they vote to close debate. The Republicans refuse to close debate. And then Democrats were supposed to vote to end the filibuster, at least on voting matters. And then you go back and then you pass it with 50 votes in Kamala Harris's uh, vote. And um, guess what? We know from last week that uh, Kirsten Cinema at least made, made a speech as Biden was going to the Hill to talk to senators about doing this very thing, saying, I'm not going to vote to eliminate the filibuster. Um, and thus, you know, remember the incredible pain. It was a, it was a reeling blow. It's a huge blow. It's a blow of blows and all that. Um, and here it is Tuesday. And they're um, actually going to debate the legislation that they know will fail. Abe, uh, you had an interesting formulation on this. Uh... When I was reading it this morning, it occurred to me, it's like they're acting like a mock Senate. Like <laughs> there are no... Yeah. There are no legislative consequences here. You know, it's just sort of this is we're going to this is what we would do uh, if 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 we could accomplish something. And let's 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 play it out. I mean, like so it's like Senate. it's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a high school Senate or, you know, yeah, like the like like, uh, you know, I did I did model UN. So, you know, it's one of the I, I guess they do do. I mean, my daughter did some kind of model. My Congress. son is in model UN this year. But, yes, but they, they do model Congress, not model Senate. Model Senate would be would actually be interesting because you really would have to master weird legislative details in order to do that that are now pretty well known because of this um, this this game here. But um, and model UN always lacks the authentic anti-Semitism that you get from the General Assembly. That's right. Well, I was the you, human I, rights yeah. violator violators on the commission. Okay, so I I was uh, I I did um, I did Mal UN in like 1976 or 77, the year at one either I, twice, but I mean I, maybe it was 77, uh, which was two years after the Zionism as racism resolution, and um, there was an interesting uh, game that went on, which is that a bunch of nations got together uh, with the idea that they would dominate the Model UN by. Uh, by working together on a resolution to expel Israel from the United Nations. No, I mean, think about it. It's actually sort of an interesting exercise because it does follow from the Zionism as racism resolution. You would say, well, Israel should be expelled. So the, the problem was that Israel, the, the, like, I went to school. We got we got Benin, uh, you know, it was like, or, or we got two countries. I got Benin and... Um, and Austria, so Austria always abstained, and Benin was, you know. But so some um, some private school uh, somewhere, all girls school, uh, got Israel, <laughs> and so suddenly these these you know girls who got Israel are like, this is like time to shine, right? This is make speeches, you know. 
rally the truth, you know, go to America, make, you know, see if you can get all this. And they were totally unprepared. They were, they were, they were totally unprepared and they had no, you know, they didn't sort of know what was going on or they hadn't really studied much about what had happened. So I just remember in one committee that I was on when this came up and it was like, Israel, do you want to respond? And, and, and this, you know, 10th grade girl sort of gets up and she goes, this just makes me so mad. <laughs> so uh, that was my model UN experience. I model said it. I guess you you could have you know like the someone playing Chuck Schumer getting up and saying Kirsten Cinema makes me so mad. But um, it is bizarre. Like they know it's going to fail. So what's the line? I heard Mara Gay say this on MSNBC early this morning, which is um, it's really important. We need to get people on the record. We need their votes to be recorded so they're on the record. Obviously so that history will be unkind to them, since that seems to be. History will not be kind to yada, da, da, da. Well, the that's best their, they can they hope for, that. the best they can hope for, if that's the strategy, is a cloture vote, a vote to end debate, not a, not a vote on the measure itself, which leads us to today's new iteration of galaxy-brained parliamentary strategy in order to get something, anything, whatever we possibly can passed. A friend of mine sent me this mere moments ago, and I've skimmed it it's from the Hill. Um, it's very complicated, but I think I have the gist of it. The, the headline is Democrats ponder plan B strategy to circumvent voting rights filibuster. And the strategy is, I think I understand it, is to trigger a cloture vote and force Republicans into a talking filibuster, not a deemed filibuster, but an actual talking filibuster and keep it going. Democrat, the Democratic majority would try to keep it going for as long as possible, up to weeks if necessary, to force every, all 50 Republican senators to speak up until they've exhausted the number of senators who have spoken, at which point you trigger a rule that doesn't allow a senator to speak twice. Having forced all these senators into talking and exhausting that rule, they then managed to deem cloture having been passed and then skip right over to the vote on the rule because that's the vote that can pass. Mansion and Cinema do support this legislation. They do not support the filibuster. So that gets around their opposition to the filibuster and somehow magically manages to get this passed. This, I guess, will satisfy everybody who thinks that they can somehow magic wand this thing into existence for the better part of the next few hours. It's probably obsolete by the time you listen to it. But this is what they're talking about today, um, rather than confront the plain evident fact that none of this is going to get passed and they're wasting all, all of our time in the process. That's well, fun. It's like a fun, it's like a fun game of, you know, how do we use, how do we use weird Robert's rules of order and Senate rules of conduct and all that, you know, in a fun yeah, way. Yeah, but it's like, it's Why fun. didn't anyone think of this for the last 250 years? Well, you know, because we live in this is an unprecedented uh, moment and our democracy uh, is at stake. It's a hinge moment in our time. But the um, number of experts who are nodding along like this, this is this is very sound. It makes a lot of sense. It's 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 foolproof. Can't fail. I also find it depressing, though, that like with every prospect for for legislation we we get this 
cascading convolutions of of you know how to do it that like create more distance between uh, the American people and how laws should act are actually you know supposed to be passed and it's like everything is a trick now even even the tricks that don't work it's like nothing it just happens the way we once learned in civics anymore. And I would argue well, that all this process talk contributed mightily to the collapse of Build Back Better. Nobody ever talked about Build Back Better, what it did. They talked about how much it cost and all the procedural machinations that would be required to get it passed, which nobody followed and ultimately sapped the bill of sapped enthusiasm for the for the bill itself. Well, and the Democrats, if they actually do this, first of all, they're giving a lot of airtime and attention to the Republican senators who can spend all their time talking about whatever they feel like. But they look like they are a party in deep denial because the American public tuning into this like, you know, our day four. Now, Ted Cruz is talking about X, Y or Z. They'll think, why is he talking? What, what, what is going on? And the only logical answer is Democrats have set this up because they don't have the votes to pass this. So this is what they're doing instead. It looks like a waste of taxpayer time, money and attention. Also, let's let's see. Let's think. Let's so, so they, let's say they did that. And the Senate gives all 50 Republicans a week's worth of mic time. That's going to advance their pro their prospects. That's going to that's going to advance the democratic position in this country. They're they're not thinking clearly. Well, I I think that you don't understand that our democracy is at stake, and if you can't give people a glass of water online, unless you're two hundred and fifty yards from the polling place then you are um you are you know the leonardo dicaprio character from django unchained that that is i think what's what is important to understand um you uh you you are looking to uh, enslave tens of millions of americans and uh, and therefore uh, you're you any anything you can do uh, is, is is justified, including including making yourself look like an idiot, which, as you say, uh, allowing the Republicans to dominate the uh, airwaves uh, night and day for weeks uh, is a very strange strategy to pursue. Um. And I would like to say that uh, that there is an intelligence behind this, but given that at least according to one report, one of the great Solons and thinkers of liberal America, uh, John Meacham, one of the people who drove Newsweek into the ground, uh, apparently is the guy, at least Rich Lowry said he heard this, that wrote the, uh, are you with Bull Connor or, you know, or Martin Luther King passage uh, last week. Th this is what passes for really smart political thinking now uh, on the part of uh, democratic elites and the people who want to pass uh, liberal legislation is to um, create um, horrifying sound bites uh, that uh, even Dick Durbin has to say, maybe that went a little too, president went a little too far there. So um, they've all lost their minds We've been spending four or five years talking about how Republicans have lost their minds, and there's a lot to that. Um, but this is a full-scale political nervous breakdown we're seeing here. The decision to take up a piece of legislation that is going to lose, to, uh, to take up precious time 
on this in order to make a point um, is, is evidence of a disordered political intelligence. That it's not something you do. You don't highlight your failure. You don't give people reasons to say, look how impotent you are. You don't want to make a circumstance, make a you know, make a political move that makes your leader look weak, shiftless, and uh, foolish. And uh, you don't want the entire body of the of democratic uh, elected opinion elected officials uh, in Washington to look like they are somehow on the wrong side of uh, you know of of an issue. Because while uh, you can get as much as you you can get all this like. 50% of senators represent 28% of voters, you know, they, it's all from rural states, blah, 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 right? Well, that's all well and good. I want to also remind people that the Democrats only control the House by three votes. Like, this keeps getting And don't control the, the Senate. They control they don't the Senate con- by, the, by the consent of the Republicans who agreed to that. Right. But ultimately, the point I'm trying to make here is, once again, you have a circumstance in which the political reality is that the Democratic Party is in a weak position, not a strong position, in weak position in part because they are responsible, because they do control the presidency, the House, and the Senate, but they control the House and the Senate by the skin of their teeth, and and, uh, this was not the time for transfigurative legislation because there is no national consensus on making these changes or enshrining federal control of state elections. Um, that was a swing for the fences. They they tried it, they missed it, and now they're like doubling down. It's like, let me take another at bat. Here's another uh, a pop culture analogy. It's like in the movie Tin Cup when... Um, when uh, Kevin Costner is at the Amen Corner at, at, at the Masters and he keeps hitting ball over and over and over again into the wa- into the water because um, he keeps wanting to take the shot. Like what, what, and he ends up, you know, I don't know, 30, you know, basically uh, being 30 over par as a result. Like the, you don't do this. It's like, it's like elementary. And the, the win is right there. The reform of the Electoral Count Act is there. They can get the win, a bipartisan win, just like they got infrastructure, just like they got COVID relief. But it's just not satisfying because it doesn't piss off the right people. They don't think it's a win. They don't think that anything. Because it doesn't satisfy a... <laughs> them and their desire to annoy the people they don't like. Well, that's part of it. It's also that they don't think it's a win because they believe that if they give in to bipartisan efforts, they are <clears throat> they are signaling that um, that uh, they're they're willing to go along with this irredentist uh, part Republican Party that is evil and must be destroyed. I mean, that's the problem with the Democratic rhetoric over the last three or four or five years, it would all be fine if they had ended up with 53 or 54 Senate seats, right? It would, it would be, even though they couldn't get some things, it's understandable. But, um, you know, you, you, you create a, a, the, the logic of uh, the never Trump to sort of mainstream and even slightly right of mainstream Democratic thinking is that the Republican Party um, has gone evil. And therefore, you don't compromise with evil, except 
uh, even if you believe that, you can't get anything done without a certain level of compromise. So what, what's your, you know, what's your game plan? And they don't have a game plan. Well, they, they do. The game plan, which they can't achieve, is to blow up the system. That's why all the talk of filibuster, packing the court, all of the things that systemically uh, enshrine the need for compromise uh, have to go because compromise is, is the problem. And I think that's right, that the demonization of the Republican Party, which, look, there's there's a legitimate uh, uh, reason for that. I mean, Trump did uh, Trump's actions, particularly his actions on January 6th, have left an ongoing stain on the Republican Party. And too many Republican elected officials have not disavowed that. So they they do. There's a kernel there of we can't negotiate with these people. They're they're basically terrorists. And the problem is that they can't get anything done either. So what they blame, that's why the, there's this recall to either Jim Crow 2.0 or systemic, you know, systemic unfairness or, you know, how can this one person in a party uh, prevent everybody, every anything from happening? That's why that's their appeal. And the problem is that, as we see from the polling numbers, that doesn't appeal to the average American voter who understands the basics of how the system works, which is you got to wheel and deal a little, you got to make deals and all of this abstruse, we're going to fill, you know, the, talking filibuster nonsense is just going to alienate the average voter even more while they think they're showing their their ideological purity it's going to turn off voters this kind of gets to the um sort of celebrity lawmaker dual track of 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 um those on the hill today that we've discussed before like if 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 you work towards crushing the the other party at all at all points, that enhances your celebrity, but it detracts from your ability as a as a lawmaker and vice versa. If you compromise, then you're a successful lawmaker, but uh, uh, your celebrity takes a hit. And and this you know gets to like Yuval's point about the sort of you know the, the about Congress being a platform for something other than making laws. But. Let's talk about Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer is the Senate Majority Leader. He's been in the Senate since 1998. Um, was in the House before then. This is the job that he has always wanted, and um, he isn't using it. He's not the guy who was there. He is an institutionalist. He's not the guy who wants it to be a platform. But I mean, it, the general line about him, which I, I don't know if this is actually true, is you know he's afraid of a primary challenge from AOC, and so he needs to attack left. I'm not so sure that's true. First of all, I think he's bad at the job. And as I, I said a couple of weeks ago, this is one of those jobs that you don't know whether you're good or bad at until you have it. Like there's no there's no analog to it in, in the world. It's, um, you know, to be to be sort of um, conceited about it. It's like being an editor like the, the, no one knows if someone's going to be a good or bad editor until they become an editor, because there's no such thing as, you know, being an editor. you know, it's like it's a it's a it's a weird kind of job and it it doesn't really connect to anything else um uh, somebody once said of, of editing that like uh you know a good editor uh, you could probably tell a good editor if they're good at jigsaw puzzles but like i i think i'm a pretty good editor and i'm terrible at jigsaw puzzles so there's no way of knowing whether you're going to be good as the sentiment there there've only been like four or five of them in the last 30 or 40 years so there's no school. There's no, you know, can sort of study it, master things. And he doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, that I think is the, and, and so I don't know that that's the platform versus the, versus the mold. Um, 
I just think that the Democratic Party has no um, antibodies against this idea that um, compromise with Republicans is by definition um, uh, complicity with evil. And if you go that route, that's fine, but you better you better win elections more. You, I mean, you, you have to be stronger and more powerful, make the case of the American people and be strong enough to pass your legislation without them. Well, and, and we ha- we saw some stories over this past weekend about the movement among groups that I think the Democratic Party has taken for granted would always vote for them, particularly Asian American, Hispanic Americans, which we've talked about on the podcast before. They are decisively moving away from the party. That should be a warning to the party that they need to think about how they're presenting their message and their and their approach, the policymaking approach. It doesn't seem to have to have sunk in. And, you know, I mean, look, odds are they're going to lose control of the Senate in November. So which wasn't the case six months ago, six months ago, it was a stretch. Now it's maybe it's conventional wisdom. Yeah, maybe maybe it was. I mean, who knows? But I mean, let's say they're going to lose. So um, cinema and mansion and the people who oppose ending the filibuster are doing them a favor because they're not going to hand them gift wrapped way to turn the Senate into a majoritarian institution where Republicans can pass things at will. Now, granted, they won't have the presidency, uh, you know, until 2025 in this scenario. So it's not like they have legislation that they want to pass. Um, but, you know, you, it doesn't make it what they're doing doesn't make any sense in the in the in the short to medium term. They're not going to get what they want and they're only going to pave the way for Republicans to do whatever it is that they want to do when they when they get power which of course was the story with judicial nominations and eventually with the Supreme Court as well. So, uh, you know, and McConnell, I mean, not to repeat oneself constantly, but McConnell made the speech when Harry Reid decided to kill the filibuster in this one area. He made the speech saying, you are going to regret this and sooner than you think. And that was 2013. And boy, did they regret it and sooner than they thought. Like that, that is exactly what exactly what happened they didn't regret it they decided to be angry and say it was unfair what republicans were doing and it was wasn't fair um so dare you uh, do exactly what we did (laughs) yeah how dare you do exactly what we did exactly okay so uh let's talk about the x chair uh before we get into other stuff you know about the x chair i know about the x chair you've heard me talk about the x chair if you're cold, the X chair has a little thing called LMAX temperature regulation. You can you can you can use it to warm your chair up, or if you're hot, you can use it to warm the back and seat of your chair down. Like it's kind of like a car thing, but you know it's a, actually much more focused and pleasant. Um, you know, uh, it's got this patented dynamic variable lumbar technology, which uh, basically allows you to move to fit it precisely to where it will most be comfortable for your back and four settings for a massage in the chair. This is the luxury supercar of office chairs. It's everything you want from an office chair. It, w- it will increase your productivity. It will, it looks so good. It's so handsome. And, uh, and I just can't say enough about it. So um, you can get a hundred dollars off your order. If you go to xchaircommentary.com. That is the letter X, the word chair, commentary.com. And you will thank me and your back will thank me and your temperature regulation will thank me. And 
you're just going to thank me. That's all. Xchaircommentary.com. Um, so what else should we talk about? I just wanted to apologize uh, because I I laid out a scenario yesterday uh, for the um, what I thought had happened in the uh, in the escape from the hostage taking in Texas um, uh, at the um, at uh, Beth Beth Shalom uh, Synagogue. Uh, where I, I said I thought that the, the SWAT people had been negotiating and then they they sent in a flash bomb and uh, that this was actually um, an act of extreme um, cleverness and long-range planning by the rabbi Charlie Citron Rocker, who had been uh, trained um, four times, he said, uh, in the wake of the uh, Tree of Life Synagogue uh, shootings um, in, in 2018, the Jewish community across America uh, engaged security experts to go and help uh, presidents and rabbis at synagogues uh, to learn security measures and ways in which to evade uh, or stop um, uh, events precisely like this one. And uh, they did so. They sort of moved very quiet over a long period of time. They sort of edged toward the door. They um, uh, they moved chairs with their feet to sort of create a barrier. Um, and then uh, when when uh, Akram, the, the hostage taker, said to them, okay, it's time for you to get on your knees, meaning to get into position where he could shoot them in the head, um, uh, Rabbi Citron Walker threw a chair at him and they were they were right by the exit door and they ran out the door. Um, so this was not something that was... Uh, done by the SWAT team. It was a, a the ultimate in self-help and a very impressive story. So I just wanted to make sure that I uh, gave a corrected the record and gave a shout out to to the to the uh, congregants and rabbi of um, of congregation Beth Israel. I said Beth Shalom before, so I apologize. And I also mispronounced uh, Waukesha. One of our lovely readers said, I'm oh, you did. butchering yes, you said. Waukesha. I'm sorry. That was yesterday, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so, um, uh, I guess, you know, um, we are yet again in one of those weird, um, spirals where we're probably not going to get the answers that we want, but you know, what people want to know is how did he get into the country? If he was on the radar of MI five and MI six in, uh, in England, um, how did he get from JFK to Texas? Uh, how did he have money to buy a gun, which, uh, the reports are that he bought it. He bought it in a homeless shelter uh, where he was staying somewhere around Dallas, uh, uh, Fort Worth. Um, we we don't have answers to these questions. It would be nice to have answers to these questions, um, but uh, we we just we just don't 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 know what they are. Um, and the question is, are we just going to sort of let this lie. And my guess is that the, that the media will let it lie after, you know, after another day or so, unless, um, unless real answers are, are proffered. Um, anybody have any thoughts on this? I mean, we, 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 the security of the question of how he got into this country when there had been red flags raised on, on the UK side about him and the travel issue should be really investigated thoroughly. Um, because when he landed in stateside, that, that should have we should have had some signal of the of the threat risk that he posed because the UK knew about it. Why didn't we? 
But that, you know, this is such an old story. Uh, whenever there is any kind of, um, this, this goes for non-terrorist uh, mass shootings as well, but, but certainly ideological uh, terrorist acts too. We always find in the, in the days following that these people were on someone's radar. Um, either, either formerly intelligence or um, there was internet activity. They were in chat rooms describing exactly what they were going to do. And it's like, we're so late into this, into, 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 you know, trying to get ahead of, of, of that. It, it almost seems to me that there's, there's got to be something so fundamentally um, built into intelligence gathering uh, in the digital age that, that makes it hard to to sort of <clears throat> get the information everywhere it needs to be in all these cases it's an interesting i mean you know because of course this is the way in which uh bin laden and others understood that um that uh terrorists could use the west's freedoms against the west uh if you think about it like um you know uh, we don't uh, the, nor does Britain, you know, hold people uh, on basis of suspicion without evidence. You know, we don't, uh, you know, we can put people on things like watch lists or do not fly lists. But, you know, there's a lot of litigation and and and, and lawsuits and stuff uh, uh, determining how 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 far you can go with that. And while this guy may have been on the radar, just because someone is on the radar in a in a free country doesn't mean that the radar then can be shared. You know, you, you uh, so th this is a continuing problem, um, and and it's not really solvable. Uh, that's why terrorism is so uh, threatening and dangerous and scary because uh, the the methods that you would have to use to really really make one safe from incidents like this um, are you know uh, constitutionally horrific, at least in the United States. So. Uh, and you know, to some extent, to a lesser extent, in 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 Britain and France and uh, other European countries, but 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 there too. And so that that remains a sort of continuing aspect of the of the terrorism fight that um, that the 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 West's guarantee of in individual freedoms uh, can give bad actors a lot of leeway to 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 maneuver. It's just sort of startling, you know, when until a very limited time, you know, very, very recently, like nobody could go between Britain and the, in the United States. Um, you know, they were, they basically, they were, they were banned from coming. Maybe he would have tried to do this a year ago uh, if, uh, if there hadn't been, if there hadn't been those, um, those, those uh, travel bans. So I, I don't know. Um, uh, we're just, uh, you know, if there is a wave, if there's a, ter a terrorist wave, we we yet again have the problem of of uh, the freedoms that we you know love and that we or that are or make up our 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 national political experiment uh, can be can be used against us to some degree, just like the just like you know sort of attitude of uh, you know that the that the rabbi displayed in the Colleyville of being you know of being welcoming and nice and kind. Uh, to a uh, a stranger uh, coming coming right can be used against can be used against him, which is actually what what happened. He saw a guy wandering around in the cold in a cold on a cold day and thought he should you know in a neighborly fashion invite him in and give him a, a glass of tea. And that's how 
that's how this all got got but started. This is also actually part of a broader challenge in a society where citizens feel like the the state uh, uh, state is not doing the bare minimum of what it's supposed to do with regard to personal safety. And and there was another her- that we talked about this horrific uh, incident. This woman killed shoved in front of a, a New York City subway. Over the weekend, there was also a terrible story of a young woman who was working in a furniture store in Los Angeles who was randomly stabbed to death while she was at work, 24, 25 years old, by, an, an, again, seemingly a, a street person who had previously wandered into a doctor's office. And the doctor gave an interview to the media saying, yeah, I, I've started putting all these security measures into place because this is a constant problem. When when citizens start to feel like the like the state and, and particularly law enforcement and the prosecutors who aren't prosecuting and jailing these people, when they feel like that's broken down, they start deciding to take security measures of their own. Obviously, synagogues have had to do this for a long time because of the unique threat that they face. But we're going to see individual citizens doing this more often. In Philadelphia, there have been stories of more people carrying guns on them because when they get carjacked, they're going to fight back. They're going to shoot. So we're going to have a situation, and this is not ideal by any means, but it's completely rational. If you're living in a high crime area and you can't rely on the, even if you can rely on the police to, to come respond, you can't rely on the prosecutors in your city to put these people in jail where they belong. You're going to protect yourself. You're going to protect your children. And you, the, the, but the level of suspicion and, and uh, paranoia that that can breed is not good in general for a society. And that's why when we talk about crime and we talk about prosecuting crime, particularly violent crime, that's what th- there are all these trickle down effects from not doing that and mistrust of each other on a day-to-day basis. And walking down the street is one of them. Yet, yet another parallel for John's uh, comparison between uh, today and the '70s and the rise of vigilantism uh, back then. Things like the I mean, Guardian I, Angels. Yeah, I mean, I, I that story in, in in Los Angeles is um, is is uh, is so uh, horrifying. Brianna Kupfer um, stabbed in this high end furniture store uh, on La Brea. Um, Hancock and Park, it, LA, not a bad area. <laughs> and 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 it's interesting because she was alone in the store. And if you you know if you shop in certain types of places, you know it's a high end furniture store, so they're not going to do like someone's not just going to walk in and pay four thousand dollars for a chair, right? It's kind of repeat business. It's a showroom and all of that. But um, you know, uh, how many? stores are now going to say well we can't we can't we can't run like this we can't have one person alone in a in a in a store like there have to be two so someone can call the co- call the cops if someone walks in you know and then you start uh, th- then you start with the other aspect of kind of inflation uh cr- that f- crime creates which is that then you have to start paying for a level of security that you didn't have to have before, um, and uh, that that's 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 part of the crime tax that uh, people had to pay in the '70s, for example, is you know, or or even the crime tax of buying a weapon. Like you know, if you if you live in a safe place, you don't have to have a gun. You know, if you if you live in a place that's unsafe, you're gonna want to go buy a gun and have a gun on you, and you have to pay for that gun and bullets, and that was an expense that you didn't have to go to before. Like th- these are these are real world problems and speaking of a real world problem that is totally that popped up this morning out of nowhere out of nowhere and we haven't even talked about this and none of us really knows stuff about this so i don't even know why i'm bringing it up except that it's so interesting and weird 
So apparently tomorrow, I didn't even know this either. Tomorrow, AT&T and Verizon are going to turn on their 5G networks. Now it says 5G on your phone. It says 5G if you have an H. It says 5G. You, you have not been on 5G. There is no 5G in the United States yet. There is in, in, in around Europe. We have not had 5G yet. Apparently the 5G is getting turned on. And the airlines have an airline pilot association or something like issued this drastic warning bullet and saying, do not turn on the 5G. The 5G is too close to some, I don't know, frequency that that is used to fly planes and uh, and uh, a c- catastrophe could ensue. Don't do it. Don't turn it on yet. There's something wrong with the way the network is set up in the United States versus how it's set up in 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 Europe and uh, and um, pilots, the pilot association is saying like, we're not gonna fly, like we're gonna ground planes. Um, anybody know anything about this? Like I, I don't, uh, th- this 5G thing has been going on now for like so long and people think we have 5G and we haven't and all that. I, I don't know, this is weird. This came out of nowhere. Yeah, I don't know the slightest thing about it save that I saw an article the other day that uh, <laughs> indicated that 5G would would the FAA was allowing for certain uh, bad weather landings uh, as a result of 5G. 5G was, would uh, augment the instrument instrumental capacity to to land via your instruments alone without visual uh, confirmation of what you're landing into. I guess I don't know, but th- it was related somehow to to flying. I mean, um, look, only that it's if it's true. If if this you know has the potential to 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 cause great harm, um, it's a it's just another massive example of the incompetence problem that we're, that we've been talking about. How no one sort of knows what on earth they're doing and gets everything wrong. I mean, this is a massive, as John says, years long screw up in the making. If if this is the case, well, so from what little I can tell, and again, I, maybe we shouldn't even be talking about this. So I apologize for you know anybody who knows about this who was embarrassed to be listening, but. Um, so, you know, this has been going on for long and the, the um, C-band frequency, which apparently is what 5G is and which is also what planes use. And the concern is that somehow the, having all this C-band frequency traffic will somehow interfere with the C-band frequency traffic that helps planes communicate and do all that. Um, that... Uh, um, Verizon AT say the airlines have known that this was coming for years. They needed to upgrade their technology, and uh, and they got the FAA to say, okay, you can turn it on now. And apparently, I guess they haven't upgraded their technology. So, um, uh, and this is the way that they're handling it: is to say, no, you can't, you can't turn it on because we're not going to be able to fly. Uh, so, if if this is correct. Um, yeah, I mean, can't anybody here play this game? Like, just because AT&T and Verizon want 5G uh, doesn't mean that it should get turned on yet. Uh, if And maybe they should be helping pay for the upgrade and tech. How long is that going to take and all of that? Um, and, of course, this is the Department of Transportation. The FAA is the one that said, okay, uh, you can go ahead uh, the FAA, you know, is under the aegis of uh, Transportation Secretary Pete uh, Buttigieg, who, as as we all know, uh, had to take uh, months off to change uh, diapers. So, um, 
who knows, you know, who's to be trusted in this respect either and who's lobbying who and who's, you know, uh, but yeah, the, uh, the incompetence and also like, what the, you know, what's wrong with you people? You know, I, I just, <laughs> it's just enough to, to drive you crazy as, but here's, I've got bad news. I've got sad news and bad news for everybody who enjoys political comeuppances. And that is that uh, Bill de Blasio has a nat just announced that he is not going to run for governor of New York state. I mean, should we have a moment of silence or hilarious laughter? Because I am either so would be disappointed. He is a <laughs> disappointment so, in and out of office. I'm so disappointed because I just wanted to see him crushed like a bug. And the reason it happened is that a poll was done that shows that uh, the, the new governor, the governor who came in when Andrew Cuomo, you know, uh, was forced out. Nobody knows her. Nobody does. She hasn't done anything yet. She's 30 points up on every, everybody else uh, in this poll. So I guess de Blasio looked at that and said, eh, you know, you know, this is all going to interfere with my, you know, with my weed time. So I, I don't really need to bother with it. Um, I just wonder what he's going to do with the rest of his life. Look, I also think it's kind of heartening, though, in that it's clear to him, perhaps, that no one's buying what he's selling at this point. Um, which which wasn't so clear a few years ago. You know, his poll numbers are not as bad as I would have expected them to be. They're kind of like 40 approved, 60 disapprove, which frankly is, you know, wildly overperforming, uh, you know, what, what where he where he should be. But um, it's not, you know, it's not terrible. I mean, it's not, you know, there are apparently 40% of people in New York State, you know, need an IQ boost or something because, you know, he was, there's almost nothing good to say about him after eight years. And here we are. So do we have any other nonsense or silliness to, uh, to take you have up? to let Noah talk about Ukraine or Trump DeSantis either. One of those. Okay. Tr okay. Yes. Well, Both we desirable. talked about Ukraine yesterday and I think we're just in a holding pattern now. Yeah. We're just in a waiting period to see what happens and how the response is, is. I just don't know what more to say, but let's talk about Trump and DeSantis. Go ahead, Noah. Talk. About All right. Trump. So, for anybody who hasn't been following this, <clears throat> um, Governor DeSantis appeared on a podcast hosted by uh, Comfortably Smug, who's a Twitter personality, and Josh Holmes, who's a former uh, staffer for Mitch McConnell, popular podcast. And he was talking in extended remarks. He had something of an aside, which has become a news cycle in and of itself. When he said, talking about lockdowns, that he regretted not coming out more forcefully against extreme mitigation measures like lockdowns earlier in the pandemic, namely in the spring of 2020. Uh, when, by the way, much of Florida was locked down, uh, much like the rest of the country. Uh, nevertheless, that's what he, he talked about. And it was interpreted as being a, a dig at uh, Donald Trump, which it was. And Donald Trump has reportedly reacted, albeit not publicly, but according to the people around him with uh, typical consternation. Um, frustrated primarily less by the by the jab than um, more by the fact that DeSantis won't come out and say that he's not running against Donald Trump. He's being coy about it. And the failure to genuflect has um, irritated the former president uh, in some rather uh, habitual ways. Uh, but my take on this whole situation is that the weirdness of it and the the 
potential downside for a, a Trump challenger is that Donald Trump is closer to the median on this issue, um, which is something of uh, of liability for a potential anti-Trump if uh, Ron DeSantis wants to take assume that mantle. Um, Donald Trump came out and said, you know, I got boosted. Ron DeSantis was very coy about it, sort of hemmed and hawed in a way that demonstrated that he was very insecure about his vaccination status and what it would communicate to the Republican base. Another um, another in- indication that he's being led rather than leading uh, Republican voters. And more people are vaccinated than are unvaccinated, including among Republicans. And if this becomes now, if this if the 2024 primary becomes a retroactive um look back on and a litigation of the pandemic and the measures to which we appealed in order to mitigate it, that's fine with me. And I would appreciate some uh, scrutiny of what we applied uh, in, the, in that pandemic and what was necessary and what worked and what didn't. Uh, and I would, I would definitely come down on the side of the doves when it comes to that sort of thing. If, however, it becomes a, a campaign to communicate the utmost hostility you possibly can towards vaccines and boosts and uh, masking, for example, as much as I have hostility towards that, the the primary will poison the general because you will emerge from that contest, most likely being the most extreme on the position uh, to the detriment of your electability. Yeah, and DeSantis has a good record in terms of what he did in Florida with regard to not going, uh, you know, becoming too draconian about lockdowns and school closures. I mean, how many feature stories did we read about people moving to Florida so their kids could go to school again uh, from, you know, the deep blue states where their schools were still shuttered? So he can run on that. And that record is now we're seeing even the mainstream liberal media come around to this idea that, oh, oopsie. I mean, John Chait had a piece in New York Magazine over the weekend that was about you know what, Democrats, this was really stupid that we kept all these schools shut down because of our fear and our uh, being beholden to the teachers unions. Of course, all of us sitting here go, oh, finally, but it's good. I'm glad that he wrote that. Um, but DeSantis's record on that score is very good. And and I think he should be running on that. And I agree with you, Noah, the weird coyness about whether or not he got a booster makes no sense at all. He's living with someone who's immunocompromised now because she's going through cancer treatment. I mean, it, it, it seems a no brainer to say, yeah, we're taking every precaution necessary to keep our family healthy. You should do the same. You should you exercise your judgment and do that. But it, it was weird that he didn't do that. I, I've got to say, I uh, I like the the prospect or the reality of some fracturing on the post 2020 right on the among the, you know, seem, previously seemingly unified sort of DeSantis um, Trump right, because I think um, Otherwise, this sort of endless lockstep is what gets you from sane place to slightly crazy place to even crazier place. And so I think it's good to sort of have that broken up, have uh, the, 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 the virtues and drawbacks of, 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 of both men actually considered. Um, I, I, it's, I think it's all good for um, the hope of a, of a sort of thinking right I'm, I'm disappointed in DeSantis in this one area, which is we can talk about what's going on. But I, I mean, he is clearly, you know, he's clearly sort of thinking he's the guy if, if it's not Trump. And um, he's got consultants who are telling him that he should be coy about the booster. <clears throat> Don't think that this is just something that he's coming up with on his own. Um, and um, uh, to the extent that he has a real shot 
even by the way, even in maybe besting Trump, because, you know, there's two years until people start voting. This notion that we know what's going to go on over two years. Being a common sense person who represents like common sense thinking, common sense thinking is we had to lock down, we had to lock down, but then we live in, it's hot in the summer and that's uh, viruses don't live well. So everyone can go back to the beach. Kids are going to go to school, that, what, however it works, right? Um, he's now taking a kind of weird uh, uh, corkscrew, not common sense position, which is, I'm not going to tell you if I got a booster shot. I'm going to play coy and footsie on the question of where I'm going with a lot of this uh, because uh, there are uh, clearly because there are a bunch of people I want to, you know, appeal to uh, and wink at them and wave at them and nod at them without necessarily saying that I'm on their side. And if, but and if I, it becomes I, a bidding war in order to attract that group, it doesn't stop at being coy at boosts. It gets my weirder point is, and weirder. Right. I think it's weird. And, and, and it, it is a it is a dead end street anyway and that he shouldn't be listening to the people whom he's listening to who are suggesting that he is somehow threatened by not being as hardline as possible he has a real opportunity having been attacked so viciously by the mainstream media being the republican guy aside from trump who can say i looked them in the face and told them to go blow that's the other thing is that it could work which by this, I mean, <laughs> Donald Trump, if he is to get to DeSantis's right on vaccines, which is a, kind of a terrifying prospect when you begin to actually think about it, uh, would require Donald Trump to rehash all these same tired knee jerk attacks on DeSantis and DeSantis's governments, governance that conservatives have been privy to for now two years. They're exhausted by them. They, they, they have an instinctual response to them, an instinctual negative response to them. And Donald Trump would position himself on the side of media narratives in a way that would undermine his, his political prospects. Well, that's not what he's better. saying about that's not what he's saying about DeSantis. He's saying two things about DeSantis, which are sort of weird. If, he's one not of saying anything about DeSantis. No, no. Yet. But if he has no, to, he that's where he'd have to well, go. He, basically, he said, did he say unmanly? He said some gutless. He said it was gutless not to yeah, say gutless. that you've got a booster. And then he said something about how um, DeSantis is boring. So DeSantis is boring and he's gutless. That's very familiar, right? That's he's trying to sort of squeeze him into a, a familiar 2016, you know, insult box. I'm just saying that, you know, it's two years until there, people actually vote. Um, and I can see why you would look at this and say, who got a booster when, you know, could be a defining issue for 2024. But I strongly doubt this. Is, if the 2024 election is run on responses to the pandemic, it will be a much larger issue than how, you know, did you have, you know, did you let Bill Gates put a microchip in your body? Like that is not where this is going to, it's going to be about, did you open or close the economy? How did your how did your state or how did things perform with you as opposed to not with you? He can say, I governed during, you know, sounds like I governed during the pandemic and my state had better outcomes than those blue states and my country will have better outcomes than those. And then Trump can say, you're gutless and, and boring. And DeSantis can say, yeah, well, you know, what were you doing except you know, except uh, issuing statements about how you have a really nice golf course now at, at Doral, uh, which, you know, I played and isn't very good anyway. I, I, whatever. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's like that is not where this is going to go. It's very short sighted to be, you know, to be even sort of getting into this game, in my view. And it just means that he probably has bad advice. He's getting bad advice in his ear.
Um, he should just run whatever. on. He should run. Look, looking at what is going on now with the elite media class and Glenn Youngkin in Virginia about mask mandates in schools. DeSantis could just run a nationalized version of the campaign Youngkin ran about education, parents' rights, kids. I mean, he, his record in Florida is much better than anything Trump could muster. Who Trump didn't really do anything about education until the very end of his term when he, you know, mm-hmm. kind of said, "Oh, CRT is bad." But there's plenty for DeSantis to run on that's very appealing to a broad swath of voters right now. We've seen that play out already in Virginia. It's just, as I agree, John, if he continues listening to people who say be coy about vaccination, that's that's not a good strategy. Right. Okay. well, uh, we managed to get through this one. Uh, uh, No, I hate to what I said. We actually had a false start. This is our second version. uh, And uh, so I don't know, I, I was kind of uh, off off my game the whole time. And I hope that you guys thought it was okay. We'll be back tomorrow. Noah's glaring at me. He's glaring. There's glaring. He's like, don't don't show what's going on behind the curtain. But I know you people love it. You love it. It's like the Jack Benny show. It's the like Jack Benny show, the greatest of all the original meta sitcom, probably the first sitcom. And it was meta because it was all about making the Jack Benny show. Kind of. Anyway, why am I even talking about this? Which we'll one of us tomorrow. is Rochester? <laughs> I'm Rochester. You're Jack Benny. You're the you're yeah. you're actually more Jack Benny than I am. Okay, you have you have better timing than I do. Anyway, um, for for, for Abe, Noah, and Christine, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the camel burning.